You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. And this week, I've been thinking a lot about the Gospel of Luke. It's my favorite gospel. It's honestly probably my favorite book of scripture. And over the last few days, I've been rereading it in my private devotional time. Every time I go through this book, there are new parts of it that come alive to me. And I wonder, how did I never see this? Or how did this line never jump out at me before now? And one of the stories that has struck me the most over the last few days is Jesus healing the man who's beset by demons in chapter 8. This is a really well-known story, but there are certain details of it that just that I haven't been able to let go of over the last few days. So for this episode, which is going to be one of our shorter reflection and prayer-focused episodes, I'm going to take us through that passage and then lead us in prayer together over it. This starts in chapter 8, verse 26, and we're going to read all the way through verse 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well, and all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. The thing that really jumped out to me this read-through were verses 35 and 37. In both of these verses, they say that when the people saw this man, who they were used to needing to be held back in chains, they were used to being 
homeless and naked and raving and running away. They were used to him being dirty and wild, sick, unclean. And when they saw him clothed and calm and, as the text says, when they saw him actually in his right mind, when they saw him behaving in ways that they would have considered to be more acceptable, they weren't amazed. They weren't overjoyed. They were afraid. I've always assumed that the thing they were afraid of must be Jesus's power. After all, other gospel writers report that people had accused Jesus of potentially driving out demons by the power of Satan, right? But Matthew and Mark report that the people who accused Jesus of that weren't necessarily probably doing it in the best of faith. They may not have even really believed it themselves. Matthew and Mark say that it was the scribes and the Pharisees, these people who were already opposed to Jesus and already looking for reasons to discredit him, who accused him of casting out demons by the power of other demons. The people who saw this man in his right mind and became afraid, these weren't scribes and they weren't Pharisees. They were just the townsfolk. And it doesn't say that when they saw that Jesus was capable of this, they were afraid. It says that when they saw the man healed, when they saw him behaving differently, when they saw him behaving acceptably, when they saw him, of all people, actually in his right mind, it made them afraid. And I've been wondering for the last few days, was I wrong to just assume that the thing they were afraid of was the power that could provoke this change? Were they maybe instead just afraid of the change itself and maybe afraid of what that change being possible or what that change being necessary might mean for them? Had they grown used to this man being in dire straits and become afraid of their status quo being changed? Was this man's health and flourishing just never part of their plans and never even part of their hopes for the world? This isn't a definitive interpretation of this verse at all. This is really just a look at something from my own prayer journal from the last few days. But at a time when, in light of the Black Lives Matter protests, in light of protests against how comfortable we are as a nation with police violence, in light of ongoing conversations about what should we accept as normal when it comes to COVID-19 precautions, in light of the conversations we're having as a country about what is normal, what normal are we comfortable with, how willing are we to find and accept a new normal as a society, whether it's in our neighborhood or in our cities or in our states or across our country. I think it's worth considering whether the people in Gerasene were just frightened of how quickly something they had taken for granted could actually be changed and how comfortable they had grown with something that, in God's eyes, needed to be changed. We serve a God who wants better things for us than we want for ourselves, and we talk about that a lot in American Christianity, how God will give us better things than we think to ask for, or God will give us, when we pray, what we would have thought to pray for if we had seen ourselves and seen our situation the way he sees it and understands it. But it's potentially worth remembering and bearing in mind in our prayer life that God also wants better things for other people than we want for them.
God is a gracious father to us. He is a generous father to us. He wants far greater things for us than we can ask or imagine. But he also wants better things, more generous things, far greater things for other people than we would ever hope for for them or think that they deserve. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the God that sees all, that judges fairly, that reasons accurately. You are the one who truly knows yourself and knows others. The number of times in our lives we've wondered how anyone could have not understood your son. If I had been alive back then, if I had seen those things. Scripture doesn't tell us why the Gerasenes were afraid, but you tell us that there is no sin that's not common to all men, so there must be something of us in them. Search our hearts and know us. Show us any false way within us and lead us in the way of life everlasting. Show us where we are more comfortable with suffering than we would be with justice. Show us where we are more comfortable with tending to the sick than we are with ensuring health. Show us where we still confuse the brokenness of this world with the perfection of your kingdom, where we still assume that the cries you sent Jesus to address are the songs you actually want to hear. We don't do these things intentionally, but our faith is not yet made perfect. We believe, but we are still racked with so much unbelief. Help us hear the cries of the world around us, the world you loved so much that you sent your only son to suffer and die for the chance of redeeming it. And most frighteningly, we ask you to bring people into our lives— brothers and sisters of faith, and even ambassadors of what our Reformed siblings call common grace, who can help us see where we are unintentionally or even willfully blind to the brokenness around us, ways in which we've stopped our ears to the very cries that break your heart. Give us eyes to see these witnesses, ears to hear them, and minds to understand what you want to show us through them. Praying for humility is always scary and always dangerous because it almost never comes by way of things that we find enjoyable. But without the humility to accept the witness of others, we can't be functional members of your body. You have said our faith is incomplete without the teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness of other believers. You've said that you are present in this world through the communion of your saints, so please Submit us to one another in love, in trust, and in good faith, so that we can help one another demonstrate your goodness so much more fully than we do right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, that's it for this episode. We'll be back again as soon as possible, but please pray that that can be soon. We were finally settled into a new office, a really great space that we had started moving into right as COVID hit. And so we didn't really finish unpacking and getting settled in and changing our address officially and all of that fun stuff until last week. And then we actually just found out this afternoon, uh, I'm recording this on Wednesday, and we found out this afternoon that the building is going to be shutting down permanently next week. So please, 
Pray that we can find a new office, at the very least a temporary office. Pray that we can find it quickly and that we can handle this unexpected move smoothly and easily. As soon as we're in the new place with the microphones unpacked, we'll be back in your ears again. But until then, follow us on Instagram, where we're sharing quotes, reflections, and shorter videos pretty regularly for your encouragement. You can find us on Instagram at our handle, Christian Civics. And thank you for being part of our work, empowering the church across the political spectrum. 